today I get the fun part. I get to wrap up the series. Um, no, Peter's looking at me strange. Um, my part is I get to talk about being good with money. Um, so I'm the BNZ today, so be good with money. Um, and uh, But really, what being good with money is all about, it encompasses some of the things that Pastor Peter talked about in the first week um, and what Don, uh, Dan talked about last week. So Pastor Peter talked uh, about that it was a matter of the heart and we was our heart in relation to money. Was it for ourselves or was it for God? And then Dan talked about giving. And giving is it's an essential part of what we believe yeah. uh, and how that through the cross there was a change and that it went from the tithe being a command and a law that you did it or else to a, you come through the cross and out the other side and it's a we do it because we love God. Yeah. And so Dan wonderfully captured the heart of God in that. Um, I just want to build on that a little bit more. You know, the, Matthew says that, um, you know, even the Pharisees, they were tithing in Matthew 23. And he says, basically, this is a really good thing that you're doing, but you're missing this other stuff. Um, you know, you're missing the justice and the mercy and the faith, but you should tithe. Just don't neglect the other things as well. Um, but then Paul, he goes on in Corinthians number 2, and he says, this is 2 Corinthians 8, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. And just like that, Paul raises the bar. He raises it from just the tithe to everything else up to and even beyond our financial capabilities. He takes this principle of God-inspired, other-centered generosity, which originally was embodied in the tithe, and jacks it up another level. That's what genuine giving is about. Dan talked about debt, and we are to pay our debt, you know, the Bible is very clear about that. Um, it goes so far as to say debt is not God's ideal way. But if you read Leviticus, it even uh, foresees that people will get into debt and provides a way for forgiveness of that debt. And that in the year of Jubilee, all debts are forgiven. Um, so it's not God's plan, but I think he accepts that we're human and we're going to do it. And he makes a way to deal with it. Um, in 2 Kings, Elisha is with a poor widow. And um, 2 Kings 4. And this widow, her husband had served Elisha, but he had died. Uh, and so she was destitute. Uh, and so she comes to him and uh, he says, oh, go and get all the containers you have and bring them here. And long story short, they get filled with oil, more than she could ever um, use. 
And he says to her, now sell the oil, go and pay your debts and live off the rest. So we are to pay our debt. Um, but not at the expense of our giving. See, 1 Corinthians 16 puts it like this. It says, on the first day of each week, we should put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait till I get there and then collect it. So it's on the first day. It's the first thing we do. And then finally, Psalm 37, 21 says this. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. See, in that one verse, it's linked. If we're righteous, we pay, and if we're godly, we give. Tell you a funny story. A pastor announced one Sunday, this is not Pastor Peter, that he had made a new offering box for the weekly collection of tithes and offerings. He claimed it was designed to encourage people to become better stewards of their money. This new box, he explained, has some interesting features. When you drop in a check or paper money in large amounts, the box makes no sound at all. Put a 10-cent coin or a 50-cent coin, and it tinkles like a bell. A dollar blows a whistle, and five cents fires a shot. But if you put nothing in, it takes your picture. <laughs> we are to be givers. You would think that with all the uh, advice out there these days, that money would be a problem we would have solved by now. You Google it online and... In about half a second, you've got 50 pages of information on how to look after money, how to be good with money, how to grow it, how to spend it, lots on how to spend it. My wife knows a lot about that. Um, apparently so does Lisa. <laughs> um, but for all this information, we still seem to get ourselves in a pickle over money. And to some of us, it's even a taboo. One of those things we just don't talk about. But, you know, God recognized in the Bible that money was important, and so he talks about it quite a lot. And the purpose of money is strongly aligned with God's purpose for our lives. So if we think about it like that, is it any surprise that we don't know how to handle money if we don't know God's purpose for our lives? See, our culture has told us to be consumers, to buy as much as we can, to eat as much as we can, to use up as much as we can. It's all about me. You know, to consume means to use up, to devour, spend wastefully. But that doesn't work out so well, does it? Because eventually you have nothing left. Aldous Huxley, in his book, The Brave New World, says, ending, throwing stuff away, needed to replace the habit of mending, which came before. Society went to buy, buy, and buy. 
products are branded. So are we. Nike shoes, Adidas rugby jerseys. Hey, I've got a few. All black, silver fern on the, on the, up here. Um, we've all got labelled stuff. And we have to be careful not to consume. See, it's a worldview. It's not just spending. It says the most important person is me. Life is all about me. It means that my happiness is wrapped up in what I consume. It's wrapped up in what I can buy. It means I compete with everybody else to have the best stuff. I have to keep up with the Joneses, per se. But smart people who have studied happiness have found that this actually leads in the opposite direction. It doesn't lead towards happiness at all. In fact, it's like trying to get to Wellington from Auckland, but hopping on the northbound motorway. And they say that happiness is found in living for something bigger than ourselves, loving people instead of stuff, and living a life of contribution instead of competition. Ironically, this is entirely consistent with what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says that we're not designed to be consumers, we're to be creators. It doesn't say that on the sixth day he made us to use up everything in the Garden of Eden to waste what he'd made on the previous five days. We weren't designed to destruct or to use it up. We were designed to construct, create, build, and make something more of what has been entrusted to us. So God has a purpose for money. We need to understand a few more things. You know, money is a gift. That's the first thing. Now, you might say that I go to work and I earn money. And that is true. But who gave you the ability to do your job? Who gave you uh, the wherewithal to save your money or to invest it to buy that car or that house? And who created the plants and animals that are so delicious to eat? Chicken drumsticks. Gotta love them. You see, 1 Corinthians 4, I just forgot about this actually. Is it going to go? I'm pointing. All right. We've gone too far. Right, okay. So 1 Corinthians 4, it says that what do you have that God hasn't given you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So everything we have is a gift from God. We work, God provides, all money is a gift from God. But there's another side. Like Star Wars, there's a dark side to money. 
See, it's a temptation. See, but the problem isn't actually the dollars and cents. The problem is us. The problem is our hearts. Money promises security, but it can't protect us from God's judgment. It promises lasting happiness, but it can disappear overnight. You can't take it with you when you die. It promises freedom and ease, but it brings anxiety and worry. The more you have, the more you have to lose. The problem comes from our sinful hearts. The cravings for money that we have at the expense of righteousness. Now the Bible talks about this as far back as the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You know, coveting is wanting something that's someone else's. It's the first step along the path towards greed. And if checked, it can give birth to dishonesty, theft, and all sorts of other sins. You know, greed, it's insatiable. It's simply a selfish desire for more of something. It says, I want it all. No one else can have it. And Ecclesiastes 5 says it very nicely. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. John Rockefeller, I'm sure we've all heard of him, um, a wealthy industrialist from the 20th century in the States. He responded when asked how much money is enough with just a little bit more. There is never enough. If you love money, you can never have enough. And so, we must put to death these things in our lives, this covetousness, which some uh, versions of the Bible use greed in Colossians 3, because it's idolatry. It's saying that we're putting this ahead of God. It's saying that we're not trusting God to satisfy every need. And we're saying too that obtaining the thing is more important than obeying or pursuing God. So, money is a temptation. It's also a test. Every time we get paid, we take a test. Let's say you have a friend. They, pro- they are always asking for money. Every time they say, I'll pay it back, but they never do, and they just waste it. If they ask you again, would you give them more? Or if you had someone looking after your retirement savings and they lost the lot and they said, give me more, would you? And so why would God give us more when we can't take care of what we already have? 
In the parable of the talents, Jesus drives home this, this point. In Matthew 25, uh, and he says, he's talking to the um, servants at the end, uh, and he says, you know, well done to you, the one who has multiplied what I've given you. You've been faithful with the few things I've given you. Now I can put you in charge of lots more. Come and share in the master's happiness. You know, uh, there are other verses um, in that passage, uh, 20, Matthew 25 through to 40, that talk about how if we can't be entrusted with worldly things, how can we be trusted with godly things? So how we deal with money is important. All right, so what does God say? So we've got three principles here. They're relatively straightforward. First, we don't own it. I think we all know that, don't we? You know, if you've had children, young children, you'll know about the toddler's laws of possession. It goes like this. If I saw it, it's mine. If you have it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If I've touched it, it's mine. In short, everything is the toddler's. But that is the complete antithesis of what God says. You know, Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it are his. So we don't own it. We just care for it. Uh, and there's a bunch of other verses there that you can write down and look up later. Um, but there is a lot of scripture about money and how to handle it. So we mustn't depend on our own resources or our own strength, but on God. And um, you know, Jesus taught that uh, he is the source of our supply, you know, that he will meet all of our needs and that we should trust him to do this. Uh, Luke 12, it says, Don't be concerned about what you eat and drink. Don't worry about these things. Don't let them dominate your thoughts like unbelievers, because your Father already knows your needs. Instead, seek the kingdom of God first, above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry, because it gives him great happiness to give you the kingdom. So, not in our strength, but in his. And we shouldn't use it to lord over others. And Luke 7 talks about, um, Jesus raises this question to Simon, um, and he says to them, there's something to say to you. And Jesus says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who cancelled the large debt. And that's right, Jesus said. You know, he cancelled our debt. He, we had the largest debt and he cancelled it. 
And he doesn't lord it over us, does he? We were, you know, wretched sinners, but he died on the cross as a lamb goes to the slaughter. He didn't say, didn't hold it over us. Oh, you did these bad things. Oh, no, you're out. It was just for these people over here. No, it was a free gift. Cost him a lot, but it's free for us. And we can access it any time. So, just like Jesus didn't lord, it, lord our sin over us, so we don't lord over others in the area of money. If we treat money in accordance with God's purposes, that is, with what he says for our lives, then we can overcome this temptation that money is, we can live as good stewards, we can live relying on God, and we cannot can live without holding it over others. And so what does God say about the purpose of money? Well, in all my reading, I found three. First, use it to love God. would have thought that it would be a bit more uh, clever than that, but actually it's really quite straightforward. You see, we're designed to live not just for something, but for more. And Matthew 25 says that you know, our first purpose is to glorify God. We're to love him with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. And so naturally, it follows that that's us, if that's our heart, then our money should follow. Oh, sorry, I've gone too far. Use it to love others. So there's a second purpose. And this is the second command he makes in Matthew 22, 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we should use it to love others. And use it to make a difference with our lives. See, it's not just for us. In fact, in my research, I found nowhere where Bible says that the money is for us. Sure, it says that he will bless us and that riches and wealth are a blessing of the Lord, but nowhere does he say that the money is just for us to use just for our own purposes. In Matthew 25, uh, we all know about the three servants that get the, the parable of the talents, and it says that he gave to each of them uh, according to their abilities. Uh, and so we are to use the money we have according to our abilities to make a difference in the world. Uh, and Romans 12 uh, says that he's given us different gifts of doing certain things. Uh, you know, if he's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out. Uh, if the gift is serving, then serve well. Uh, a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is encouraging, then be encouraging. If giving, then give generously. 
Uh, and if God has given you leadership ability, then take it seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness, do it gladly. You know, thought I had, you know, it mentions giving and giving generously in there. And I tend to think that even though we have the tithe and the, the overgiving that Paul talks about, we actually have people here who that is their gift and it's beyond the rest of us. Um, just like some of us are called to encourage and some of us are called to lead, it's over and above. So don't think that because it says if giving, then give generously because we're all called to give. And none of these purposes are for ourselves. They're all centered around generosity. And we serve a generous God. Hallelujah. Um, and uh, so, you know, we all know that greedy person, don't we? The one who you go out to dinner with and they never contribute, they never offer to pay, um, you know, they never, they always take, take, take. Um, is that the kind of person that we want to be? No, I'll put it to you that we don't. And so, if we don't want to be the greedy person, the one who is consumed by the need for stuff, then we need to align our spending, how we care for the money we have, with God's purposes. And these are the antidote to the temptation that money is. They're the antidote to that dark side, the other side of the coin. You know, Kelly and I have experienced this uh, quite significantly in the last couple of years. You'll know that we have a business. Um, and um, when we started the business, we started it, A, one, we needed a little bit of extra cash. Uh, but really, because we wanted to help a guy who had got himself into a pickle with his own business and was about to go out the back door. And long story short, a few years later, he's now, he's thriving and he's got an employee and he's going really well. But we started this business because we wanted to help people. And we wanted to have it centered around honoring God and, um, you know, being generous to others, being generous to our clients, being generous to our staff, all of that. You know, we have been so wonderfully blessed it's amazing. So last year, our revenue tripled, and this year it's on target to triple again. Uh, and I know coming off a fairly low base in dollar terms, but you know, we serve a God of percentages and multiplication. Um, and um, a funny story, Kelly went to a function on Thursday night, and she's sitting there talking to the head of this company. And, and someone said, oh, how many staff have you got now? And she says, oh, I've got 13. And this guy visibly chokes. And he says, a couple of weeks ago, it was 10. And he says, oh, no. I, she says, oh, no. Uh, you gave me some more work, so I hired some more people. And, you know, 
This is the blessing that God has given us out of the desire to be generous and to orient our business around the purposes of God. Um, you know, it is a natural thing that when we live our lives according to God's uh, rules and laws and, and his intentions and his purposes, that blessing flows. And it's not always financial, but blessing does flow in all sorts of different forms. You know, some of us, we won't see any treasure here, but we'll see it in heaven. And the Bible says it's, it's better to lay the treasure up in heaven than here, because here, moths can get it, rats can get it. Just ask Pablo Escobar, rats got his money. Um, so, you know, he lost a billion dollars due to rats. Um, that don't happen in heaven. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you another story. There were two brothers, and their mum gave them some money and sent them down to the toy store, and they were going to buy marbles. And uh, the older one quickly did the math, and he knew, all right, for $5, I can get me 10 marbles. So he went, gave us $5, got his 10 marbles, came in a brown paper bag. The younger son thought, I really want to play with these marbles and I don't want to lose them, so I need to get a bag and marbles. So he bought a drawstring bag and after that he was only able to get about half the number of marbles, so he could get five marbles. But he had this drawstring bag. The older brother, with his paper bag full of marbles, would never let anyone see them, would never play with them, would never do anything with them, would never even take them out of the house. But the younger one, with his drawstring bag full of marbles, went down to the park every day and played marbles with his friends. At the start, he lost marbles, but it didn't take long before he was winning and he had more than he could have in his bag. Then one day... He's walking down the street and he finds a marble on the ground. He walks a bit further and he finds another marble. Walks a bit further, finds another and so on. Until he finds ten marbles. He thinks this is great and goes off with his friends and they have a whale of a time playing marbles. Gets home that night and there's his older brother sitting at the dining room table with his brown paper bag with a hole in it. He had taken the bag out of the house had a hole, and he had lost them. You see, God's kingdom is all about generosity and not keeping stuff for ourselves. When we do that, we ultimately lose. The younger boy used the marbles to go and have fun with his friends, used them to build relationship with his friends, to share them with his friends. The older brother kept them to himself. And so now that we have the purposes of money, what does God say about some specific aspects of how we're to live with it? So there are six 
areas that he says. Oops, sorry, I've skipped that one. He says we're to give support to the church. And so that we talked about that earlier. Um, and um, in Mark, it talks about that you know, Jesus you know, sitting at the temple entrance. Um, lots of people came in. Some rich people put in some huge amounts. But then a poor widow came in, and she put in two coins. And he says to the disciples, you know, this widow's given more than all the others because they gave part of their surplus, a tiny part, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had. So he wants us to give, to support uh, the institutions that he has rightly uh, established, um, and it is right that they are to be supported. Pay our taxes. We'd think that in this day and age with PAYE, um, that would be fairly straightforward, uh, but do hear from time to time in the paper of people being taken to uh, the cleaners by the IRD for uh, not paying tax. Uh, and if you read the uh, liquidation statements of companies, you'll often find the IRD is the main plaintiff uh, because people haven't paid their taxes. You know, it is right to pay taxes. We give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, which is tax, and we give to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God? Well, firstly, our money, none of it's ours, but secondly, our hearts. He doesn't actually need our money. He needs our hearts. But he knows that wherever our money is, there our hearts are going to be also. You know, we're to pay taxes even if we don't agree with the government. He doesn't give us an out. He doesn't say that we can put a hold on tax. Be nice to put a hold on tax. We could probably spend some aspects better. Um, but the government has been institutionalised by God. They are a governing authority and we are to live according to the laws uh, that of the land. Help, we're to help the poor and needy. Um, you know, Jesus taught that uh, we're to do this through benevolence, through you know, beggars on the street. It was common for people to give money to them in Old Te New Testament times. But James takes it further and he says, you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good is that? You can't keep warm on goodbye or have a full stomach on a good day. You see, it's not just enough to have faith, it, the deeds must follow. And if we don't have the deeds, then it's useless. to meet essential needs. So that's like food, clothing, and shelter. 
Uh, and 1 Timothy says that those who don't care for their relatives, especially in their own household, have denied the true faith and are worse than unbelievers. So it's important that we look after those in our care in our households, paying our bills, food, making sure there's a roof, making sure our family is clothed. Um, you know, it's even beyond just in our own household. It talks about our relatives. Uh, so whether or not they live with us, we've got to care for our family. And then exercising careful money management and wisdom. So what does this mean? Well, this means being careful about taking on debt. Now, the Bible says this isn't the best way. So you've got to be, be wise about that. It's about you know, those higher purchases, about saving for things to purchase them. So wise management would be that you save for that car and then you buy it. Uh, and what that then leads on to is not spending everything you have. Uh, so Luke 14 says, so don't begin until you've counted the cost so you know how much something's going to be. So if you're building a house, you always work out how much it's going to cost at the start. Uh, and, and then you, if Thomas is working, you've got to subtract 10%. Uh, because uh, there'll be some shoddy workmanship um, on his building partner, not on Thomas, um, and uh, you've got to hold that back until things are done properly. Um, but you still have to pay. Um, and, and so, and it says, if you run out of money, you won't be able to complete it. Uh, and then where would you be? Um, you know, so we must... Be mindful of what we have and set out to do things that we can achieve with what we have. So if you have $5, don't go bidding at an auction for a million-dollar house. <laughs> That's not going to turn out well, and that is not wise use of money. Um, so... We need to be careful how we use our money. And then lastly, he expects a return. You know, he talk, when he's talking about stewards and farming, he was serving a God of multiplication. So uh, he expects that uh, we are to be using the money we have we're to be sowing, we're to be reaping, we're to be growing and harvesting. So just like a farmer, he plants the seeds at the right time of the year and then 12 months later, he goes and he gets his harvest and he gets an increase. Um, so, and you see it through the parable of stewards. We have one gets five talents, one gets three, one gets one. Um, and the two that get three and five, they multiply it and they get the, hey, well done, guys. Here's a little bit more. Let's go have a party. 
Uh, and the last guy who did nothing with it, he did give the money back, the full amount, but he did nothing with it. He lost it, and he wasn't invited to the party. So God expects us to generate a return. But it's not for us. You know, that return is to give more, is to be more generous. Because we serve a God of excess, don't we? You know, the Bible says that he wants to bless us that we're pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Now, Luke 16 goes like this. Here's the lesson. So this is talking about a um, guy that had worked for, uh, he had a boss, and he was about to get fired. Um, so he goes around all the people that owe money and say, hey, look, let's just write down your bill so you don't owe quite so much. And he did this so that he would have friends after he got fired because then he could go and say, hey, can I stay with you? Can you feed me? Um, can you look after me until I get another job? Um, and so he thought, oh, this is a good way. I can get some friends through doing this. So he knocks off a bunch of um, dollars off their debts. And then uh, the master comes back and says, yeah, you shrewd servant, but you're out of here anyway. Uh, And then this is where Jesus picks it up and says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other um, and be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So God wants us to multiply. So we have six things. I've made it into a nice little table there for you. Um, So none of these are about us keeping any of it to ourselves. It's about meeting our basic needs and about looking after our families, looking after our relatives, looking after others bringing forth growth, so sowing and reaping, and giving to the church. You know, these are all mirrored in the three purposes, you know, that money is for God, it's for others, it's to make a difference. See, sometimes we are blessed with natural wealth, but not all the time. And the Bible doesn't promise us that we will all be blessed with natural wealth if we handle money according to uh, how he says. But he does promise to bless us. He does promise to meet our needs. And that blessing might not look how you think or want it to look, you know, there's that, that saying that, you know, if God was an employee, he'd be fired on his first day because he'd show up late. Um, you know, we always think that 
our timing is right and how it looks to us is right or how we want it to look is the right way, but God has another, another plan in mind. And so, my challenge to you this morning, maybe you can take a little test, is how are we using the money that has been entrusted to us? Is it aligned with God's purposes? Are we consuming or are we creating? See, if we consume, there's nothing left, but if we're creating, there's something more. Think about that. We weren't designed to destruct or use stuff up. We were designed to build and to make something more, to use what has been given to us and multiply it. As we wrap up, I'll tell you a story. And it's kind of a funny story, but you'll get the point at the end. And I'll Debbie, this one's for you because I know how much you love cats. There's a man. He was married, and the wife had a cat. He hated the cat. He was allergic to cat hair. He didn't like the smell of the litter box. And he couldn't stand the scratching on the furniture. And he couldn't get a good night's sleep because the cat kept jumping on the bed. As cats do, they would be lying right smack bang in the middle. When his wife went out of town for a weekend, he got the cat and he put it in a bag with some rocks and dumped it in the river. He uttered a joyful goodbye to the cat. And when his wife returned, she couldn't find the cat. She was overwhelmed with grief. Her husband said, look, honey, I know how much the cat meant to you. So I'll put an ad in the paper and give her a reward of $1,000 to anyone who finds the cat. No cat showed up. So a few days later, he said, Honey, you mean more to me than anything in the world. If that cat is precious to you, it's precious to me. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll buy another ad and I'll up the ante. We'll increase the reward to $10,000. One of his friends saw the ad and exclaimed, You must be crazy. There isn't a cat on earth that is worth that much. The man replied, Well, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. So, now that you know what you know, you can afford to be generous. Hallelujah.